Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, right back into it with our panel, Anthony Fury, uh, Peter Tabbins, and Joe Mahavik. Joe, you were the counselor when the crossdown, uh, not the crossdown, but it was the uh, St. Clair LRT went through. I was just kind of curious because right now in my hood, we've got the Eglinton crosstown going yes, through. Yes, yes. Big was, meeting tonight. Well, uh, You'll get to tell us about it because I just wanted to ask you what was learned from the experience and, in a lot of cases, the debacle for the shopkeepers. I know the local home hardware in uh, Sunnybrook Plaza, it shut its doors just, I guess, within the last week or so, uh, citing, again, there's no foot traffic, no walk-by, people don't want to drive there. Uh, and there are other stores, I mean, there have got to be maybe dozens if not hundreds along the route as well. Uh, is there not a better way of doing this? Well, if there is a better way, uh, we'd certainly like to know that in, tr- in Toronto and, frankly, I think cities across uh, the world, uh, renovating and upgrading a city to uh, the next standard for the next century is a tough, tough job. The Eglinton Crosstown is the biggest infrastructure project in Canada right now. It will renew the city of Toronto at the midtown level in a dramatic way when it's finished. It is a very, very important project uh, for our city. Now, are there negative impacts during the construction? Absolutely there are. There were on St. Clair. Yeah, how many Cl- businesses went under? About 100, right? On St. Clair? Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't have that, uh, that data. I will tell you this. When we started the project, St. Clair uh, was certainly uh, in my ward west of the St. Clair West subway station. It was a dying street. We had yeah. about 15 dollar stores uh, there. People were on month-to-month uh, leases. It was not a vibrant, active uh, street. So a lot of them were teetering on the edge as it as it was. Now the rents are very high. The yeah, businesses the whole city's have been gentrified. All those areas, the junction's being gentrified as well. Well, yes, but above those averages, uh, St. Clair has, and there are, there is some data that the TTC uh, is working on right now with a third-party review that shows that St. Clair is doing better in every single area from uh, density to commercial values to passengers to lowering of accidents. It, it was an important project uh, for the city, and we learned from that. And one of the big things we learned is that you have to pay a lot more attention to the businesses along the route. Yes, absolutely, and a lot more attention to communicating with residents along the route so that they understand and participate in the project and feel that it is it is theirs. Is there anything that can be done to salvage these businesses or uh, see them through these hard times? Well, we did. We do all we did on St. Clair, and when when I was there, we did it on Eglinton as well. Uh, shop local campaigns, uh, everything from posters to campaigns to newsletters, <clears throat> highlighting it on the on the walls that uh, are around the, the uh, new stations that are being constructed. Come shop local. This is a time to embrace your local businesses. Uh, we need them to survive this uh, this diff- very difficult period. Unavoidable. Just, uh Disruption, I guess, Anthony, would you say? You know, kind of. And I I agree with, you know, Joe, that if there's a better way, then, you know, hopefully we'd be doing it by now kind of thing. It's the thing every other city faces. But it's, and I support the shop local stuff, but I kind of find it funny, all the different legal arguments that 
that come. You know, there's times we go, oh, we, we got to give Omar Qatar $10 million. We just got to do it. A court will say we will. And then meanwhile, another government action uh, puts uh, pretty much puts businesses under and you go, oh, well, you know, that's life. Too bad. Deal with it kind of thing. And, and yet there's no uh, uh, compensation for these people. So there's, uh, there's some disparities in life, some disconnects. Let me ask you, uh, Peter Tabin, since you represent uh, Toronto Danforth, you know, yep. this Danforth shooter, uh, the report came out today, or yesterday rather, uh, unsealed, the search warrant that was used by the Toronto police for Faisal's uh, Thorncliffe apartment uh, to be, I guess, probed, uh, found all kinds of things in there, uh, loaded magazines for weapons that weren't actually found, but we're talking about some heavy artillery, AK-47s and such. And uh, there was also, I guess, what's described as uh, Islamic headdress, a couple of receipts uh, where donations were made to a mosque in Pakistan. Yet the early narrative was it was mental illness. Now, that doesn't necessarily negate that mental illness played a role here, but uh, do you think that this report should have been made public sooner or uh, that people were being stifled in uh, wanting to examine whether or not there was some jihadi connection to all of this. I mean, you must have heard it from some of your constituents on the Danforth, because I know I did, that this might have been a tie to terrorism. Well, first of all, I should say that this is still something that's really painful along the Danforth. I mean, people were devastated. People lost their lives. People had their lives altered forever. And so it's it's always a painful issue to address, to deal with. Um I certainly think that information should be made available to the public. I don't know what the police uh, motive was. I, I really can't speculate. I don't know what their thinking was. But I actually went back and looked at uh, some of the earlier media reports, and the police at the time reported that they'd had a number of interactions with the shooter um, and understood him to be emotionally and mentally disturbed prior to this. So it isn't as though someone made up a story at the time that you had someone who had mental illness. Um, that was what the police records already showed. So we have a person who is... But that narrative was emphatically put forth uh, at the exclusion of any other consideration. Well, may and maybe that was the assessment of the police. Uh, the police ha knew they were dealing with someone who was mentally ill and were carrying out a search as they should uh, to see what else they could understand. Uh, for me, the critical thing is we still have someone who is mentally ill who had access to weapons. Um, I know since that shooting, I've talked to a number of families in my writing who have members of the families of a variety of ethnic backgrounds who are mentally ill, who they worry about, and they can't get the help that they need. And that, I think, is a critical thing, John. Well, all it's, right. Well, that's a byproduct of this, but uh, I don't want to veer no, too far astray on the discussion. No, I just wanted to move it back. Anthony, I mean, were you, uh, you're in the media, I mean, bewildered, perplexed, maybe frustrated that uh, the one narrative became almost exclusive, the mental illness thing. And I'm not uh, here to suggest that they're mutually exclusive. You can be, but there's also this idea that there may be a link to terrorism, but that was never allowed to be examined. And now this report uh, tends to suggest that they're, could potentially have been that connection. Oh, John, you're talking to the guy who was extensively defamed and libeled for, for writing the story, uh, highlighting that the person behind the family statement was a self-described spin doctor who likes to cr craft new narratives about uh, Muslims in, in trouble in Canada. And I got a lot of abuse for writing a 100% just fact-filled reporting story with you know zero editorial angle to it. 
at all. It, this is not the end of the documents. The police report has not come out yet. Uh, there are still elements of these documents, which I've seen them all. The ITO in its original super redacted version a few months ago, the one that came out the other day, there are still redacted portions to it. And also the one thing we don't have, and this is the question that investigators ask in all times, whether or not this is a, a, a jihadi guy, an incel guy, or just any guy, they want to know what's on the devices. So they've seized a bunch of laptops and phones and so forth. And the question is, what is on all of that? Because I get what Peter's saying, that uh, people with uh, mentally ill people in their family access to weapons, but you're talking multiple rounds of AK-47 ammunition here. I mean, this is not simple acts, you know, oh, he didn't lock his long gun up properly. There's something else going on here, and the family uh, is connected to some of the largest car fentanyl traffickers in the country, perhaps, you know, who bear part of the responsibility for the the, the, the opioid problems that we're seeing, say, in, you know, places like Sherburne Street and so on. So there's a massive mess here, and, and there's more of the story uh, to be told. I think the Islamic headdress phrase is kind of sloppy. I don't know what that phrase means. I mean, w- w- what are they talking about here? So I, I'm curious. I think the police officer just wasn't didn't know the right words to describe whatever that is. But when you find that there's also uh, $10,000 being sent to Pakistan and 9-11 truth videos, both the Alex Jones ones, but also saying, oh, 9-11 is a hoax to, to warrant uh, invasion of Muslim lands, you know, you, there are more questions. And to your original point, we were told you can't ask more questions. Well, I'm sorry, that's not what we do in in, in the media. All right. Well, let me ask one more question. It has to do with Karen Wang. And this is the Burnaby South by-election called for February 25th. There were three in total. And uh, Jugmeet Singh is carrying the banner for the NDP. So, uh, Mr. Mahavik, uh, Karen Wang was forced to quit by the Liberal Party because uh, she said something on social media that as the only Chinese candidate she could beat Jugmeet Singh, who she said is of Indian descent. He's a Sikh, but she had to walk the plank. Is what she said racist? Uh, well, certainly the perception of the Liberal Party is, is that there was an inappropriate thing uh, to say, and I think the beneficiary of that will be the NDP. Uh, I think uh, they Or will look- they? Pardon? Or will they be the beneficiary of the NDP? It may just accrue to the benefit of the liberals to see Jagmeet Singh win in that writing. Well, I, I think for the NDP, uh, it will be if Jagmeet wins, it will put him on a, a trajectory. He does need to get a bounce, and a, a win would be a bounce for him, and I think that will play well for him as he goes into the spring and into the summer and into the fall. Um, and I think the liberals have been, uh, frankly, caught uh, making mistakes and this is going to be to their peril when uh, when the Judgment Day, Election Day uh, comes. Well, the idea that, you know, this is the party celebrating diversity, and if you've got one of the members who are contesting in a by-election and suggests that he's of Indian descent, I'm just wondering, I mean, they, they thought that this was uh, inappropriate and said as much in their press release. The Liberal Party has a clear commitment to positive politics and support for Canadian diversity, and that's expected of our candidates. So uh, what she said, offside there, Peter? Completely offside. And frankly, I think the the prime minister should have spoken up. The prime minister should have gone on the record to say that this kind of uh, urging that people vote on the basis of nationality or ethnicity is unacceptable. Uh, and and I think that's the one big missing piece here that Trudeau has taken himself out of the picture. Well, no, he sets the tone for the party, and he should have set the tone on this. He shouldn't have just left it to some spokesperson. Well, uh, and finally, I'll ask uh, around the horn very quickly. On the Robert Schellenberg case in China, the Chinese are more or less mocking us, and Christian Freeland's trying to uh, muster up some support from our allies. So far, the states say they support us in the regard that uh, the death penalty is inhumane. But is this an indication of Justin Trudeau's international impotence in the face of the Chinese, who are really not taking him seriously, Anthony? 
I think they'd be doing this uh, any opportunity they could. Whoever whoever was prime minister when Meng Wanzhou was arrested, they'd be doing the same stuff. We got to ban Huawei from the 5G grid right, grid right now, John. We Some people have suggested uh, Brian Lee Crowley, an esteemed uh, think tank uh, fellow in Ottawa, saying we got to expel their ambassador from Canada for him libeling us all as white supremacists. And I, I put out a call. I said, we need to get a petition going to get Rogers to boot Huawei off as the uh, anchor name sponsor in Hockey Night in Canada. I'm glad to see that petition's now floating around. So uh, we, we got to not be pushed around. All right. By the way, uh, where do we find that petition? It's on change.org. Change.org. All right. Anthony Fury, we've got to go. Uh, appreciate yours. Uh, you're coming in for the first time. Joe Mahavik, Peter Tabbins, Anthony Fury. All stay warm, and we see you next time. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 